Welcome to the Christchurch London podcast. This is a talk from our Central London service. To find out about upcoming talks at each of our services, or to listen to other talks, please visit ChristchurchLondon.org. Fantastic. Thank you. Happy New Year, everybody. Uh, hope you had... Oh, thank you. Um, better than myself. They didn't wish me a Happy New Year at all. But uh, I hope you all had a fantastic Christmas and didn't get too many gifts that need re-gifting, because um, I don't want them. <laughs> so uh, I had a good Christmas this year. I didn't get as bad presents as I often do. Probably my worst was from my in-laws, and it was a jar of chopped garlic. Um, <laughs> very festive. With the words very lazy written on, which I'm trying not to take personally, except that the last time I saw my in-laws, they gave me a beer called Proper Job, which makes me think they question all my life choices (laughs) through the passive-aggressive giving of food gifts, which if anyone wants them, you're welcome. Um, uh, But apart from that, I had a great Christmas, and it's brilliant to be here, uh, and I'm excited about starting off this new series, which we have called Awaken. And the idea behind the series is this. History is full of times when God has awakened his church, has called the church to wake up and to really recommit herself to him, to hunger for more of his presence and to pray for him to move in fresh and powerful ways. And when God has done this and awakened his church, it has usually led to often large-scale spiritual renewal in the city or in a nation or in various parts of the world. Examples include the Wesleyan Revival, the Hebridean Revival, the New York Businessmen's Revival, the Welsh revival and many more. And there are many accounts of times when God has awakened the church in this city and caused spiritual renewal. And right around the church, uh, right around the world right now, I think many people in the church, in many different sections of the church, in many parts of the world, are feeling like we are in a significant period where God is again challenging his church to wake up, to recommit ourselves to him, and to hope and to dream and to pray that he might do something significant in our generation. That those stories would not just be relegated to the past, but they may also happen in our time. And so we are beginning 2019 with this sermon series, which is like a short, sharp wake-up call, a way of saying we want to play our part in not only the cultural and social, but also the spiritual renewal of our city. And so we, over these next few weeks, are going to be looking at a few spiritual practices that typically precede a fresh mood of God. Things like devotion to prayer, wholehearted commitment to Jesus, longing for his presence, the discipline of fasting, and so on. And we hope this series will be really helpful for all of us to help us grow in following of Jesus as individuals, but also as a church scattered across this city. And today I want to begin by setting the scene and looking at this passage that we just heard read from Genesis 20. And I want to look at three things, ancient promises, ancient practices, and ancient power. And we'll start with the promises. To give you a bit of background, at the beginning of Genesis 26, everything seems bleak. At this point, Abraham, who is like the spiritual father of God's people, has died. And many of the promises that were made to him don't seem to have come to fruition yet. See, God had given Abraham promises that his offspring would be as numerous as the stars in the sky. He would bring them to a land where they would be able to dwell permanently and they would flourish in the land. And God said, I will bless you so that you can bless the world. Now, at this point in the story, that doesn't seem to be happening. Abraham has actually died, and his offspring are about as numerous as the stars in a London sky, which is, you can barely see them at all. (laughs) So they are not in the land that God has promised them. They are not settled. In fact, they are a nomadic people, and they are wandering through a desert that is experiencing famine. It seems like the promises of God are not really coming to fruition. It doesn't seem like a context that is ripe for a fresh move of God. 
Now, in some ways, this is not dissimilar from our own context. We are regularly being told in papers and articles and surveys and documentaries that faith is on the decline, that church attendance is on the decline, that people have no need for spirituality anymore, and that increasingly numbers of people in our city and in our nation say that they have no religious affiliation. In some sectors of society, there is a great hostility towards religious institutions or religious leaders. Some of that, I, th I think, sadly, is warranted. There have been too many stories in recent years of religious leaders or institutions that have been complicit in the abuse and, and perpetration of injustice. And that is horrible. So I understand why many people are skeptical or hostile towards religious institutions, but I think often there is also a hostility towards religious ideas. Or if not hostility, maybe just sort of apathy, a sense that really religion has nothing to offer us in this day and age. I think many people consider Christianity and church to be like one of those clogged up wells. It might have brought refreshment to a previous generation, but now it's just empty and pointless and of no use to anyone at all. Happy New Year. <laughs> um, but as is the case in Genesis 26, Although the situation looks bleak and dry at times, bubbling under the surface is water that is ready to be uncorked. And that picture that we're so often told about is really only part of the story. Actually, it is not the case that the church is declining in every denomination or in every part of the UK. The Financial Times ran a piece just before Christmas, I think the 23rd of December, saying that London is bucking the trend of declining congregations. And studies have shown that there is actually an increased hunger, particularly among young people, for spirituality. Because people's desire for meaning and purpose and answers to the big questions and connection with a divine power outside of themselves has not gone away. All we've done is we've tried to fulfill that thirst by other religion replacements. And it's my conviction that they will never be able to quench the thirst that can only be quenched through connecting with the true wellspring of life, relationship with our Father through Jesus Christ. So I don't think that church decline is the whole picture. I think there is water bubbling under the surface. And so right now, the challenge for us is the same challenge it was for Isaac. Whatever it looks like around you, however dry the surface, however distant the promises of God seem, will you trust in him? Will you return to the ancient promises and trust in God's ability to deliver on them? Twice in the, in the passage, once at the beginning, once at the end, God reaffirms the promises he made to Abraham. He says, I promise that his offspring would be as numerous as the stars and I'll give you land and you'll flourish there and I'll bless you and through you I'll bless the world. And then he confirms that again to, uh, to Isaac. He says, I am the God of your father, Abraham. Do not be afraid for I am with you. I will bless you and will increase the number of your descendants for the sake of my servant, Abraham. And God's encouraging Isaac. Don't look at the dryness around you and be discouraged. Rather, look at me. Trust in my ancient promises. My promises are not off track. They did not die with Abraham, but rather your generation, Isaac, is the generation that gets to pick them up and run with them. See, I think the promises of God are somewhat like a relay race. You don't get to the end of your section and they just drop and you die out. Not if you're doing it right, at least. They get passed on from generation to generation to generation. And the challenge for each generation is the same challenge God gave to Isaac. It's how are you going to run with my promises? Are you going to pick them up and take them on? Are you going to run with them all the days of your life? 
You see, with a relay race, things get passed on, passed on, passed on. In the same sort of way, I think our task is to look at the previous generations, to receive the promises well from them, to learn from how they ran, and then to say, right, it's my turn, and to sprint as hard and as fast as you can, hoping and dreaming and longing that you, with God, will fulfill those promises in your generation. The challenge is this. How are you running with the promises of God? Are you being discouraged by what you see around you? Or are you going back to those ancient promises and saying, they're still not fulfilled yet. I've still got more running to do. I want it to be said of me and of us and of this church, like it was said of King David, that we served the purpose of God in our own generation. When my days are done and I lie down, as it says of David, I want it to be said of me that I served the purposes of God in our generation. London is full of rich spiritual history. If you were here at Love London Sunday, you may have seen down in the foyer, Tim put together a presentation of some of the men and women in churches who have done incredible things that have led to the cultural, social, and spiritual renewal of this great city uh, across 1,700 years and had ripple effects right across this world. And as I watched that, I found myself so encouraged. My story is not separate from that. It's not like God did all those things over here and then sort of Liam's a little bit later over here. Actually, I stand in the same story as many of those men and women in churches. And the challenge to me is, will I pick up the promises of God and run with them in my generation? And I found that watching that video and, and listening to some of the stories did me good because it raised my faith. God could do things through us. In 200 years' time, if Tim Frisbee was still alive and making another documentary, I would like to think that Christchurch London would feature on that because we have fulfilled the promises of God in our generation. You may want to check out the video, and actually we've put it online at christchurchlondon.org forward slash awaken. Check it out. Familiarize yourself with some of the stories because when we look to the past, it does us good. It encourages us that God can move again. The philosopher George Santayana coined that famous phrase. It's been quoted and changed so many times, but he coined it. Those who cannot remember the past are doomed to repeat it. I think he's right, but I think the opposite is also true. We don't just look to the past so that we don't repeat the mistakes. I think we should look to the past so we do repeat the successes. And when we look to the past and remind ourselves of the many times God has delivered on his promises, the many times he has shown himself to be faithful, it raises some faith in us that he will not let us down either. When we remind ourselves of the faithfulness of God, it encourages us to run with his promises in our generation. Now, of course, that doesn't mean there won't be struggles or that everything will be easy. God never promises that. Actually, in this passage, as Isaac goes to redig the ancient wells, the wells that were given to Abraham before they got blocked up out of jealousy at their prosperity, when he goes back to unblock those wells, there is quarreling. There is opposition that he faces. In 19 to 22, those verses, again and again and again, he digs up a well and people quarrel over it. So he calls the first one Essek, meaning dispute. Then he goes to the second one and the same thing happens again and he calls it Sitna, meaning opposition. But with the third one, there is no quarreling. And so he says, this one is called Rehoboth, which means room. Why? He says, because the Lord has given room for us to flourish. Our God is the God who turns Essek's and Sitna's into Rehoboth's who, despite our struggles, maybe even through our struggles, always, time and time again, throughout the generations, has led his people to room where they can flourish. And when we look at the past, 
When we look at the many examples of his faithfulness across history, it reminds us he can turn my situation around too. He can bring us to room where we can flourish. Be blessed to be a blessing. You know, we can often feel like this is a difficult time to be a follower of Jesus. I certainly feel that at times. I feel like voices of skepticism or secularism tell me, oh, the church's fate is it's not good. His days are numbered. It's foolish to try and follow this ancient guy in the 21st century. When those voices come, we need to ignore them and listen instead to the word of God and his promises. And these feelings that we often feel that it's difficult at times to follow Jesus, they are not new. They feel so new to us. The church has felt them again and again and again and again and again. It's been repeated so many times it's almost boring by now. The church has so often felt the way we do before a great new move of God. In 1909, James Burns published a little book called The Laws of Revival in which he looked at times across history where groups of people, sometimes a significant portion of a city or a nation, has just suddenly been awakened to their need for God completely unexpectedly and have sought faith in him. And he uses the word revival to describe that, which maybe for some of us is an unhelpful or loaded term, but basically it just means to, to make alive again. And he says a revival is a time when many people who had been unaware of the supernatural become keenly aware of it, throwing all else aside, they desperately search for a way of salvation. And Burns writes that spiritual awakenings or revivals come in waves, like the ebb and flow of the tide. And there are times when it feels like the spiritual life of a city is really flourishing and many people are finding faith and it's like the tide is crashing in. It feels like people are just eager to know more about Jesus. And there are times then when it starts to retreat. Maybe Christianity starts to lose some of its sway or appeal and people don't seem interested anymore and it ends up feeling a bit dry, a bit barren. Actually, he argues that that's not just the case with faith. That is the case with all progress. All progress and every area has times where it feels like it's advancing and other areas feel on the back burner, but then there's a change in the tides. And he says, just as you don't give up on areas like science, for example, or technology, when it seems like other areas are advancing more, rather you trust that their time is going to come again, so is the case with faith. When it feels dry, when it feels difficult, that is not the time to give up on faith. He says, we find preceding every revival a spiritual desert. He writes, the tide is out. The wave of spiritual progress recedes, but even in receding, it is gathering in power and volume to return and to rush further in. When the night is at its darkest, the dawn is on its way. It's time to awaken faith. That's what I think for 2019. It's time to awaken faith. It's time not to be discouraged by what we see or hear around us. It's time to trust that God has not given up on his promises. There is water and there is life bubbling under the surface of our city, ready to be uncorked. It is gathering in power and volume to return. It's time to remind ourselves of the ancient promises of God, to bless his people so that we can be a blessing. How does God prepare his church for a fresh new move, for the tide to come crashing in again? Well, I think firstly, it's by reminding them of the promises. But secondly, it's by encouraging the church to commit again to ancient practices. Burns says that before every great move of God, 
the church gets awakened and calling them back to the hard work of ancient practices. In Genesis 26, they go back and they unclog these wells. I can't imagine that was an easy thing to do. Wells that have just been rammed with mud. It takes work and effort to get the mud out, to get down to the water underneath. And the same is true of spiritual practices. They are not always easy. They require work and effort. But when you pursue them, they unleash water. They unleash refreshment. Burns says that a great new move of God starts with dissatisfaction. He says it starts with people looking at their city or their world and saying, this cannot be all there is. I long for more. I'm not satisfied with the brokenness I see. I want God to break in. But if that dissatisfaction is to be healthy rather than just something that eats us up, it needs to be channeled into two things. Firstly, commitment. Saying, I don't want to be part of the problem. So I commit as a follower of Jesus, as a church, I commit to giving myself wholeheartedly to him clearing out anything that is standing in the way of him using me for his glory. It begins with commitment. And then it gets channeled into prayer. It gets channeled into saying, God, you have made these promises. Would you fulfill them in our generation? Like the prayer of Habakkuk, we've heard of your great deeds. Would you do them again in our day? That's prayer. It's reminding God of his ancient promises and saying, Lord, would you keep your word? And the result of that is a deeper level of worship, he says, where we get filled with joy and faith that better days are ahead. And when the church begins to awaken in dissatisfaction leading to commitment, prayer and worship, then, as Burns writes, the waters are far withdrawn and heaped up, foaming behind the barricade. The times are ripe. The soul of humankind cries out for God. A spirit of intense expectation is present. Once more, the long bitter night has ended. The dawn is at hand. I don't know about you, but I long for God to move in this city. I long to see spiritual renewal in this city that I love. I look at it and I am pained by a lot of the brokenness I see here. And I long for us to play our part in the cultural, social and spiritual renewal of this city. The tide has been out for too long. So in 2019, would you dare to awaken faith and give yourself again to the ancient practices? Things like reading scripture, praying, giving yourself fully to him, trusting that God could use you for his glory. God is calling us back to those ancient practices. Would you prioritize those this year? And maybe you're hearing this and thinking, no, <laughs> I, I'm tired. 2019 has just begun already. You're already giving me stuff to do. <laughs> like My goal is not at all that you leave today thinking, oh, I've just got all this work to do that I didn't really want to do. And I know I'm just going to make commitments and then break them within a week or a month or whatever. I'm just feeling awful. The spiritual practice is not meant to make you feel like that. Done badly and from the wrong motives, they can make you feel like that. But done right as a way of connecting with Jesus, the one who said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Spiritual practices are a way of finding refreshing for your soul, a well in a desert place. In Jeremiah 6, there's this beautiful verse where God is calling his people to awaken again. He's calling them back to himself. And he says, stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it and you will find rest for your souls. You see, the ancient practices that followers of Jesus have done for thousands of years of prayer, of fasting, of giving yourself to him through repentance and worship and um, at meditating and reading on his word, they are not meant to be heavy or burdensome. They are meant to release refreshing for your soul. Honestly, looking back over 2018, 
it was a hard year for me, as I know it was for many of you as well. It was probably one of the hardest years for my family that I, I can remember. And yet also at exactly the same time, it was one of the most spiritually vibrant years. It's weird how that happens. Those two things often come together. I think that's due largely to having found comfort and rest and power in ancient practices of prayer and worship and scripture reading. To be clear, I did all those things before 2018 as well. It's not like I suddenly just decided, oh, I'm a teaching pastor. I should probably read this Bible. <laughs> I, I, I've always done those things. Um, but honestly, I found them hard a lot of my life. Prayer particularly. I have always found prayer difficult. And yet in 2018, I knew this is an area I just need to grow in because there's so much strength available to me that I'm not, take, I'm not benefiting from right now. And so in 2018, I decided I needed to learn differently. I tried a different way of reading the Bible, a different sort of approach to it uh, that I'd not done before. And I found there were countless days where I would just read something and it would speak into a situation in my life. And I would, leave, I would go into my day changed and empowered in new ways. I found myself praying differently. I think I'd often in the past just decided what prayers I thought God would answer and only prayed those ones, the safe ones. In 2018, I just chose, I'm going to pray bigger, bolder prayers and trust that he is capable of answering them. And I saw more answers to prayer in 2018 than I ever have before. And it was hard work, but it was so worth it. I think I have heard God guiding me personally and for my family and for the church and for those I lead way more in 2018 than I ever have before. And I've had faith conversations with a neighbor which has just been so brilliant and I trust they will go deeper in 2019. Because when you give yourself to the spiritual practices, it's not like, oh, just more stuff I got to do. Rather, it releases refreshing for your soul. If you were at the leaders retreat in August, you would have heard us talk a little bit about this. But I know there was a turning point in the year in the summer where some of us in the leadership experienced God really stirring and encouraging us to give ourselves to prayer more than we ever had before. And actually to dare to pray big prayers for an awakening in our city. I didn't know what to do with that, except that God said pray. So I thought, well, we got to pray. <laughs> but as a team, we just learned from one another and together. And we read more and we listened to sermons and we prayed together. And we said, what are you learning? How do you do this? How do you make this work? And we prayed in, in groups more than I have ever prayed before. And we shared this at the leadership retreat as a way of saying, hey, would you guys join us in praying for the church and for the city? And what really encouraged me was the number of people who then came to me saying, I've been feeling stirred as well that we should be praying more for a great awakening. And the number of people who over the last few months of 2018 just gave themselves to prayer, deciding this is something they wanted to learn about and start a connect group about or, or pray early in the morning or pray all through the night or really engage in the week of prayer. It's been really encouraging. I think God is calling us back to these ancient practices to find strength in them. They take discipline and they take effort, but they provide rest for our souls. So maybe at the beginning of this year, it will be worth you stopping and thinking, what is God calling me to invest in this year? Where are the areas where I'm maybe not so strong? Things I've often found difficult that I can learn about in 2019. And we've put together something which we hope might help you. Some of you will have seen it already. But if you go to christchurchlondon.org forward slash survey, you'll find a, a survey that we have put together, which will help you like a spiritual health check to look at your spiritual life and say, where am I strong? Where am I weak? And where would I like to go in 2019? I found it helpful. I've done things like this uh, quite regularly. Um, but having a tool like this is really useful. It's a great way of looking at yourself and allowing God to speak to you about things that he wants to grow in you across the next 12 
months. The reason we've done it as a survey rather than just a list of questions for you to do yourself is completely anonymous. But actually seeing those answers will help us to know how we can serve you and how as a church we can also grow in 2019. So a little application point. Why don't you this week go to the website, fill that survey in and think and pray about things that you might want to do in 2019. And if you know you want to grow in reading the Bible or, or praying or whatever it happens to be, I hope this series will help you. But also get involved in a connect group. Maybe if there isn't a connect group that is looking at the area you want to grow in, why not start one and ask us and we'll help you find resources that will help you, whether it's growing in prayer or reading the Bible, whatever it happens to be. God is calling us to trust again in his ancient promises, to give ourselves to his ancient practices. But thirdly and finally, he promises to give us ancient power. Right the way through scripture, whenever we read about wells or springs or water, typically it's a picture of the Holy Spirit. And we'll look at this in a bit more depth in a couple of weeks' time. But if you were to fast forward to the New Testament, there's this famous story that many of you will know. In John chapter 4, it takes place again at a well, where Jesus is talking to a Samaritan woman. And they're talking about this water. And Jesus said, if you truly knew who I was, you would ask me and I will give you living water. Water that will satisfy you way more than the water in this well. And the lady says, well, how can that be? How are you going to get living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? Which is an odd question. Why did she ask that question? Well, Jacob was the son of Isaac. And so Jacob had actually given this very well that they are standing there next to. He had dug it in the desert and given it to his son Joseph. And so there is like this lineage of wells all wrapped up in this one encounter. Abraham in the desert, given promises from God, and God gave him refreshment through a well in his time of need. Abraham's wells then got clogged up because of jealousy from the enemies, but then his son unclogged the wells. Isaac came back, he unclogged the wells of Abraham. His son Jacob then dug new wells, which he gave to his son Joseph. Fast forward all the way to John 4, and they're standing here at this well of Jacob, and the woman says, are you saying you're better than Jacob? And Jesus is like, yeah. Yeah, I am. And, and, and basically, I'm better than all of those wells. Why? Because the wells of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and anyone else all pointed to him, the true wellspring of life. He is the one who fulfills permanently and eternally what those could only do for a moment. People in the desert found refreshment that would last a few hours. They all pointed to the one who would give streams of living water that lead to eternal life. Jesus said, if you truly knew who I was, you would ask and I would give you that kind of water. Fast forward three chapters, John 7, he's standing in the temple and he says, anyone who is thirsty, let them come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this he meant the spirit who those who believed in him were later to receive. All the ancient wells pointed to Jesus, the true wellspring of life, the one who gives us access to the Holy Spirit living within us and bubbling up to eternal life. And the reason that the ancient practices of prayer and fasting and scripture reading are of any value is because they are ways that we get to tap into those streams of living water. They are ways that we get to draw on the power of the Holy Spirit for our lives. If we are to see spiritual renewal in our city, it will not come primarily through our hard work, important though that is. It will not come primarily through our strategies or plans, important though those things are. It will come because of the power of the Spirit. 
every great move of God is due to him and his activity. So more than anything in 2019, I think we need the presence of God and the power of the Holy Spirit. And how do we get them? We get them by trusting that his promises did not die with the previous generation. They are for us today. And the challenge is to pick them up and run with them. By giving ourselves wholeheartedly to prayer and worship and reading his word. And then trusting in his Holy Spirit empowering us to be useful to him. Let me tell you a story as I come into close, and maybe the band would like to come up. And it's a story of one of my favorite um, thinkers uh, and philosophers. His name is Blaise Pascal. He was a contemporary of Descartes. He was one of the greatest minds of the 17th century uh, in France. Um, tragically, he died at the age of 39, but in his short life, he achieved so much. He was the pioneer who created many of the earliest mechanical calculators. He made huge advances in mathematics and science and um, mathematical probability and hydrodynamics none of which are my passions. <laughs> I'm not like, oh, I love this guy because I just love calculators. That's not why. Uh, I, he's, he was actually a great thinker and a follower of Jesus. And I think his writings on philosophy of religion are so profound and way ahead of their time. But he had this experience in uh, November 1654 that completely changed his life. And it's hard to know exactly what happened. We don't really know at all. All we know is that it lasted about two hours and he was not the same again afterwards. And he wrote in his journal straight after this experience these words, the year of grace 1654, Monday 23rd of November, from about half past 10 at night until half past midnight. Fire. God of Abraham. God of Isaac. God of Jacob. Not of the philosophers and of the learned. Certitude. Certitude. Feeling. Joy. Peace. God of Jesus Christ, my God and your God, your God will be my God. Forgetfulness of the world and of everything except God. He is only found by the ways taught in the gospel. Grandeur of the human soul. Righteous Father, the world has not known you, but I've known you. Joy, 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 tears of joy. I've departed from him. They've forsaken me, the fount of living water. My God, will you leave me? Let me not be separated from him forever. This is eternal life, that they know you, the one true God, and the one that you've sent, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. I left him. I fled him. Renounced. Crucified. Let me never be separated from him. He is only kept securely by the ways taught in the gospel. Renunciation. Total and sweet. Complete submission to Jesus Christ and to my director. Eternally enjoy for a day's exercise on the earth. May I not forget your words. Amen. And those words are like just this unstoppable torrent of praise. So much so that this guy, who was one of the most learned, articulate minds of the 17th century, just forgot how to use punctuation and write cogent sentences anymore. Why? Because he was just caught up in wonder and worship in this desperate sense that I don't want anything but you. I don't ever want to be separated from you. Because you give me certitude and joy and peace and power that I have never found anywhere else. I love the way he put it. He says, fire. God of Abraham, God of Isaac, God of Jacob, not of the philosophers and the learned. He was not anti-intellectual by any means. This is one of the greatest minds who has ever lived. But he recognized that in that moment, he experienced something that's way beyond rationality, way beyond what the philosophers can offer. He experienced God himself. And the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of those ancient worlds became his God in that moment. And it changed him. 
So much so that he took that bit of paper and he folded it up and he put it inside his jacket and he sewed it in to the seam of his jacket so it would always be by his heart, reminding himself of the power of the Holy Spirit and his commitment to following him wholeheartedly. My question to you is this. Do you know God like that? Do you know God like that? Is he for you just the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and the Bible, the God who did stuff in the past, and now we just think of like an intellectual idea? Or is he your God as much as he was their God? You can know him like that. What would it look like for you in 2019 to write down your experience and put it there in your heart? What would it take for you to make a commitment this year to say, I will give myself wholeheartedly to him. I want to know his joy and his certitude and his power and his presence. What it looks like for you may be completely different from what it looked like for Pascal or for me or the person in the seat next to you. I don't really mind what your experience is like. What I mind about is that you know God and that you experience his power. I think this will be a significant year for us as a church. I don't know what it holds in store. No doubt challenges and struggles, but also great experiences of the faithfulness of God. But my challenge to you right here at the beginning is this. Will you give yourself wholeheartedly to him and allow him to fill you afresh with his Holy Spirit? Will you take the dissatisfaction that we often feel and channel it into commitment to him and prayer and giving yourself to the ancient practices, engaging with God and drawing deeply on the Holy Spirit? In a moment, I'm going to ask us to stand. And if you want to start the year that way, I'm going to pray. And I'd encourage you to make that prayer your own. And then we'll worship and we'll sing just about our desire for more of the Holy Spirit. It may well be that you have never begun following Jesus, but you know, actually, at the start of 2019, I want to get my year off to a good start in that way. In which case, as we pray, just in your own way, however you can, with whatever language you want to use, just say, God, I want to know you in 2019. And then at the end of the service, come and speak to me. I'll be down here at the front or speak to the prayer team or a trusted friend or one of the leaders. We would love to talk with you, answer your questions and pray with you. But if you are already a follower of Jesus, it's time to say, I want to awaken faith. I need the Holy Spirit again. I need to give myself to God again. So why don't we stand? You may find it helpful just to hold out your hands as a way of showing your openness to receiving from God. I'm going to pray for us before we sing. Lord God, at the start of this new year, we want to know you more. God of Abraham, God of Isaac, God of Jacob, we remind ourselves of your promises to fill the earth with your glory and we ask, would you use us in your purposes? May we be faithful in running with your promises in our generation. We're not content with what we see in this city that we love. We're not content with the pain and the brokenness around us. We long to see a great awakening in London. We long to see people give their lives to you in their thousands. We long to see countless people find hope and rest and life and restoration in you. So we ask, would you pour out your spirit on our city and draw men and women to yourself? And would you start with us? 
we choose to give ourselves to you in full devotion. We repent of anything that is stopping us from being useful to you. We lay it down. We want to be pleasing to you. We give ourselves to you. And we ask that as we grow in prayer and dependence on you, would you strengthen and sustain us? And we pray now that the fire of God would fall on us. May we be clothed with power from on high. Would we know comfort, certitude, joy, power, and peace. I pray that we would regularly be a people who hear your voice, take steps of faith, and see miracles as we dare to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen.